Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. I'll be leading you guys, all of us, to call to worship today. Um, so let's all breathe out. Close your eyes. Okay, let's all close our eyes to focus and breathe out all the anxieties, all the things that have been harassing you throughout the week, everything that preoccupies from our focus and our fix on Jesus, or even the seeking of Jesus. And let's breathe in the presence of God, the faithfulness of God and the spirit of God that hovers over this place and works despite our weakness and circumstances. Um, Jesus calling September 17th. You will not find my peace by engaging in excessive planning, attempting to control what will happen to you in the future. That is commonly practiced form of unbelief when your mind spins with multiple plans Peace may sometimes seem to be within your grasp, yet it always eludes you. Just when you think you have prepared for all possibilities, something unexpected pops up and throws things into confusion. I did not design the human mind to figure out the future. That is beyond your capability. I crafted your mind for continual communication with me. Bring me all your needs, your hopes and fears. Commit everything into my care. Turn from the path of planning to the path of peace. Amen. Now we'll have Brother Stu. <laughs> Thank you. You guys can sit. It's okay. <laughs> and I swear, I swear, honest to God, I do not plan my sermons around the Jesus Calling devotionals. I, I promise you guys I don't do that, but it always seems to work out that way. Anyway, um, a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of us were at Dr. Sammy's house, and we were talking about Myers-Briggs personalities. Uh, do you guys know your Myers-Briggs personality? You guys have any idea what, what that stuff is? It's, it's kind of like a plan like where you can figure out what kind of a personality you are, where you recharge from, how you take in and work with information. Uh, a couple of the ISTJs were kind of crowing about how rare and special they are. And meanwhile, I'm just a run-of-the-mill ISTJ. I am a logistician. And that means I am an introvert. I like my quiet time. I like to be alone and process things by myself. I am observant or I'm sensing. I need to see the nuts and the bolts of things. I can't do theories. I just can't do it at all. That's why I failed calculus so many times. I am a thinking person. So again, I need to know the scientific approach to things. I need bit by bit by bit of process. And my most dominant trait is that I am judging, which doesn't mean that I'm looking at you and I'm like, oof, what are you wearing today? It's not like that. It means I need those processes. I need step by step by step. I need everything planned out. Otherwise, I start to panic. I mean, good Lord, look at my notes. When P-Lid came up to do um, the Jesus Calling thing today, I was looking at Doc and I'm like, wait, aren't you going up? Am I just going up? And moment of panic. I'm very, very weird like that. But anyway, apparently us ISTJs are very common. You might even be one yourself. You might even be hearing what I'm saying and you're like, all right, I kind of get that. So I say all of this to say that when I want to do something, I want to use my plan. I want to use my plan that is well thought out, that is well researched, that I have footnotes and references to, that I know every little thing about because otherwise I'm going to panic. I am much better now than I used to be, but when I get into my default mode, when I'm presented with a plan that I didn't come up with, that I don't see all the moving parts to, where it requires a little bit of a leap of faith, even when I'm 100% on board with what we're talking about and the destination that we're going to, if I don't see all of it, 
I'm kind of giving the side eye and like, eh, are you sure about this? Maybe I think I could do this a little bit better. Hold on to that thought. Maybe I could do this a little bit better. At the retreat, Doc was talking about our spiritual inheritance, how our ability to live in our spiritual inheritance is dependent on our degree of trust and of surrender. And if we don't engage in that kind of trust and surrender to God, who is the one who gives us our spiritual inheritance, we end up living in spiritual poverty. We get hopeless for all of the good things that God has planned for us. We end up like the Israelites who were delivered from slavery in Egypt, but while they were in the desert, they said, you know what? It was probably better to be slaves in Egypt than to live free, but have the chance of dying because we haven't gotten to the promised land yet. And we don't see how we're going to get there. But the journey for our spiritual inheritance not only involves trust in God, the fact that he has a destination for us, but it's also surrender to God's plan in his way of doing things. And unfortunately, we don't always get the inside scoop on what God's plan involves. We don't always get the nuts and bolts of it. We don't always see every single step of it. And unfortunately, it's also usually not an immediate plan. Sometimes there is a long game to it. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years, the Bible says for God. So God's manner of delivering on his promises and that spiritual inheritance that we have, it can take a while, and sometimes it will take forms that we might not like. It will involve a journey that is not necessarily fun. And this is why I talk about our plans and planning about things. This is why I laughed when Pastor Lydia was reading Jesus Calling today, because it is about how we start to make those plans, how we start to have plans for our preferences on how things are supposed to go, how we understand things to go, that don't put us through the more difficult, nitty-gritty pieces of discipleship and forming and waiting for God's promises. We may get to the point where we are 100% sold that God is our savior, that he has the one that has great plans for us, that he has a promise for us. But we might be thinking, hmm, I wonder if I could do it a little bit better. I wonder if I could get there a little bit faster. And this is when we fall into what Paul was talking about last week, about that argument of autonomy versus dependence on God. The problem is when we start to make our own plans for our way to achieve what God has promised for us, it can turn into an absolute mess, a complete and utter disaster. And there's a danger in trying to chart our own uh, path for our spiritual inheritance when God has already figured out every step of the way. He just hasn't told us what those steps of the way are. So today what we're going to talk about is submitting to God's plan for our spiritual inheritance. And we're going to look at two different figures in the Old Testament, both of whom God had some incredible plans for, but both of whom had to wait a long time and had to go through interesting, difficult journeys for it. We're going to start off with the father of faith, Abraham. And uh, Haley read it for us. We all know kind of the story of Abraham. At this point, he's still called Abram. He has been called by God. God said, I am going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to call you out of the land of your forefathers. I'm going to bring you to this promised land, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. But the problem is, Abraham is already in his 80s, and he has no children. And he's starting to think, is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen the way God said it was going to happen? There's no doubt about the promise, but there's doubt about the journey to achieve that promise. Will God actually do this? Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're talking. Are we too old to make this happen? Are we too old to bear children? And they begin to take matters into their own hands. They begin to investigate plan B. How many of you guys always have a plan B just in case plan A doesn't work out? You have that fail-safe plan just in case, right? We've been using Neil Anderson's book for a lot over the last couple of months. I'm still not done with it yet. And he talks a lot about those plan Bs when it comes to winning the battle for our mind and fighting against the temptations that lead us 
out of obedience to Christ. Sometimes those influences come from the enemy. It's like the serpent in the garden. Does God really want the best for you? It's that sneaky, accusatory tone. Is he really going to do this or is he holding out on you? Sometimes it's just the influence of the world. No, no, no. If you want to get ahead in life, you got to be ruthless. You got to be cutthroat. You can't have integrity. You got to stab somebody in the back to get what's yours. And sometimes they come just from our default nature, from before we were living in Christ. Just a simple fact of, I don't know if I have a spiritual inheritance. All I know is that I'm stuck here in the world and I got to figure out a way through it. So I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get through there. You guys feel me on this? So wherever these sources of temptations to indulge in that plan B comes from, we end up thinking that maybe we can do things a little bit differently than how God wants it to happen. Maybe God's way is taking too long. Maybe it's involving too much struggle. Maybe it's involving too much discipline. Maybe it's just involving too much headache. And we start to think about that plan B. And Anderson points out something very simple and kind of insidious about the plan B. The more we start to think about and the more we start to invest in plan B, the more we start to check out from God's plan A. The Bible says that you can't serve two masters, right? You're either going to love one or hate the other. You're going to you know, follow one and you're going to despise the other. You can't serve two plans. You can't love plan A and plan B. You're either going to love one plan and hate the other or celebrate one and despise the other. Um, let's put this picture up. It's very simple graphic. It's very simple. The more we go on one plan, the less we will go on the other. We start to drop on one plan, we start to pick up the other plan. And it's a slow but steady decline. Nobody jumps to plan B right off the bat. It just starts insidiously. It starts to pick up steam. And slowly as you begin to invest in plan B, you lose investment in plan A. And this is what he says about it. This is what he writes. The more time and energy we invest in charting our own destiny, the less likely we are to seek God's direction. We begin flip-flopping back and forth between trusting God with all of our hearts and leaning on our own understanding. James calls this kind of man double-minded, unstable in his ways. When we continue to vacillate between God's plan A and our plan B, our spiritual growth will be stunted and our lives will be marked by instability. So once you lay that groundwork for plan B, you inevitably start to turn away from plan A. The more you build plan B, the less invested you are in plan A. And again, you don't jump to plan B right off the bat. Nobody jumps right into plan B at the drop of a hat, but you start to think about that plan B. You start to investigate it. You start to work on it, right? So let me give you guys an example, and I'm going to use kind of the married couples for, for this for a second. How many of you married couples, if your spouse came home and bought a car without telling you anything about it, what would you do to them, right? You would, you would have them sleeping in that car that night, right? Now, maybe your plan A is, all right, eventually we're going to get a new car. The car is starting to get old. It's starting to get a little rough around the edges, but, you know, money is tight. Finances are bad. Our plan A is to wait maybe two or three years. If someone was to go straight to plan B, you would probably throw them out. Funny story, true story. My dad actually pulled that on my mom. Back in the 80s, he just went out and bought a car and put the down payment on his credit card. And this is in the 80s when rewards points didn't exist yet. And you guys think interest rates are bad at 8% now? In the 80s, interest rates were 20%. It is a miracle she didn't kill him. But anyway, thankfully they had a good, strong marriage, and he probably got dope slapped. But anyway, I digress. No, it doesn't start like that. It doesn't just go, boom, we're going to plan B. But it starts insidiously. It starts with somebody saying, hey, you know what? Let's just look at what the financing rates are. Let's just look at what the interest rates are. Maybe, maybe we go with a lease this time around, you know? You know, if we get an EV, we get that nice tax credit, right? You know, what about, what do you think about this color? I love this blue. This is a great blue. It's better than the, the, the plain white or the plain black. It's, why don't we just stop by the dealership? Just take a test drive. No obligation, right? Next thing you know, you're sitting there, you're signing paperwork, and you've got a $700 a month uh, down payment that you're realizing, 
how the heck did I get here? Slowly, then suddenly, you started messing with plan B. You started investigating and you checked out from plan A. Sad to say, that's exactly what happened probably here with Abram and Sarah. They didn't go straight to Sarah saying, you know what, Abram? I don't know if God's going to make this happen. Just go have some, go, 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 go with Sarah, uh, with uh, Hagar. Well, let's make this promise happen on our own. Didn't just jump out like that. It probably started slow. Do you really think God is going to make this happen? You know, and actually, if you look in the Bible, God doesn't say that Sarah is going to be the one that will bear the child. It's just son of Abram. So is this really going to happen for us? You know, again, you know, maybe this is a different way that it's going to happen. Well, what about Hagar? She's nice, right? Sounds very, very creepy, but that's exactly how it happens. That's how we make our plan Bs. We start to find the loopholes. We start to find the ways that we can work around things. We start to rationalize it. And the next thing you know, we're taking matters into our own hands. And we actually see how this all goes wrong for Sarah and Abram. Yes, Abram and Hagar have a child. And Sarah and Hagar, they do not have a good time with each other. And this child of Hagar and Abraham's, Ishmael, he is considered one of the great forefathers of Islam. And it's a question of whether, um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting his name? Whether Isaac is the son of the prophecy or whether Ishmael is the son of the prophecy. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the Middle East, there's a little bit of a, an issue between things like that, right? So we see that there are lasting effects from when we take the plan into our own hands and we don't follow God's plan A. When we start to take plan B into our own hands and execute it, it can go horribly wrong. And the same thing for us in our lives. Maybe we're thinking, you know what? God has promised me financial security. So I'm gonna take this really high paying job. And then you get there and you realize, oh my God, this is the most toxic environment I have ever seen. Plan B goes wrong. Maybe we think, you know what? I'm tired of the rat race here. I want some peace. God says I'm gonna have peace in my life, right? So I'm gonna to go to another city, another state. I'm gonna to go to another country. I'm gonna find peace over there. But meanwhile, God has actually called us to be the one who brings peace in the location that we're already at. Now, I don't know what your plan B's might be, but I have a feeling that as I'm saying this, maybe it's starting to click where you're saying, you know what? Maybe I am starting to doubt that God will deliver on that promise. And maybe I am starting to think that I need to make my own plan B. So there is agency when God calls us to live in his plan. There, is, there are things that we will have to do and we will have to take part of. We're not called to be helpless. But the thing is, it's when we decide that we know better how to achieve the inheritance that God has for us that we run into trouble. So this is my first point for today. How do we submit to God's plan for our lives? This is what we have to realize. It's somewhere there. There we go. Wait for it. There we go. God's plan A is better than our plan B, even when we can't see all the nuts and the bolts of plan A. God's plan A is better than our plan B. Given that God created the universe, given that he has seen our lives from start to finish, given that he wrote our lives from before time began, and he sees all the mitigating factors that we're not even aware of. How do we think that we're going to do a better job than him? Sounds kind of, sounds kind of, kind of, I don't know, hubris. I don't know. That's the word I come up with. Anyway, so my question for you guys today is, where are you guys starting to make your plan B? Where are you starting to say that, you know what, I know better than God about where my inheritance is going to come from and how I'm going to get there? It's my prayer that as Doc said at the retreat, as we were saying today, we would instead say, I trust you, Lord. And I'm not going to say that it's easy. It can be very difficult. Sometimes we're not going to understand the process. We're not going to see the path. It's going to be difficult. But I encourage you guys to look at where God has been in your life where he has seen you from point A to point B, even though you didn't know the path, that he has seen you safely there. And if you don't see those places, I invite you to challenge God. 
to actually say, God, show up, show me where you have gotten me there. I'm challenging you. I'm putting you to the test. It's okay to do that. God says, taste the Lord and know that he is good. You have to actually engage with God about that. You have to challenge him sometimes, but ask him for that trust. Ask him to show up in those places, and you would be surprised the way he reveals himself. But like I said, just because we want to be faithful to God's plan A and his timing, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. And if they did, they were selling you something. And I'm not trying to blackpill anybody. I'm not trying to be fatalistic about it. There are times when you're going to follow God and it is going to be incredible. It is going to be amazing. It is going to blow your mind the crazy things that God will do in you and through you that you never expected were possible. But there's also going to be times that it's difficult. And it's going to seem like sometimes there are more difficult times than good times. I mean, that's just a reality of life. When we think about things, we don't think about the good things automatically. We think of the bad things automatically. But anyway, I digress. Sometimes God will put us through trying times in order to grow us in order to father us, in order to discipline us, so that we can be ready for that spiritual inheritance that he has for us. It's not always going to be fun, but it will, in the end, be good. And sometimes it may not even make sense to us. It may, we may say, why is this trying thing happening? It has nothing to do with my spiritual inheritance. It has nothing to do with God's plan for my life. And it might actually, we just don't see the point yet. The author of Hebrews says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's always a point to the difficulty in our lives. And it might actually be better to say that even through the difficult times in our lives and even through the suffering in our lives, God will create something beautiful through it. He will make something worthwhile from it. And the Bible says that he sees every one of our tears. He writes them down in his book. He collects everyone and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There is a point to it. It is not wasted, but it is used. And to illustrate this, we're going to go to another father of faith from the Old Testament, Joseph. Now, this is the great grandson of Abraham. He is his father's most favored son. This is, he is one of the 12 children of Israel. And this is where we get the term Israelites from. This is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel from. These are the children of the promise that God made to Abraham. But Joseph, he's a little bit of a troublemaker. And if we read through this, we can see a little bit of that. Starting with verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing to me. So Joseph is a dreamer. He's got this dream. And this is part of his spiritual inheritance that, spoiler alert, he would be raised high above all of his brothers. And the sun and the moon, that's his father and mother. So he is going to be up there. But the journey that he took in order to get to that point was not fun. I mean, if someone told us that we're going to be raised high above all of our siblings, all of our family, all of everybody, we want that, right? That, that would be a great thing, right? But let's take a look at what Joseph had to go through. I'm taking a uh, note from Paul here. I have a chart. So, let's take a look at what Joseph had to deal with. He is hated by all of his brothers to the point where his brothers decide, nah, we're done with this guy, we're going to kill him. And then when they have him ready to kill him, they say, you know what, maybe this is a bad idea. Let's just sell him into slavery. 
So that's what he has to go through. He's sold into slavery. And when he is, the place where he's sold into slavery, uh, a man by the name of Potiphar, his wife saw Joseph and said, all right, he's pretty fine. And that's true. Bible is more fun than you guys would think if you read through it. But Joseph's like, no, 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 no. I'm not messing with this. I am not touching this. So he's accused of rape and he gets thrown into jail and he spends 12 years in jail. And even while he's in jail, he helps out one of his fellow prisoners who is then released from jail. And you would think, you know, honor among thieves, you'd think this prisoner would say, hey, this Joseph guy, he's actually not so bad. Nah, forgot about him, left him in jail for another two years. Not exactly a fun journey for all of what Joseph had to do. But when you think about this, look at, look at where Joseph came from and look at who he became. Even though he had all of the Lord's favor when he was doing through this, it takes a long time and a lot of patience and a lot of faithfulness to see the end point of his journey. Eventually, that cupbearer that forgot about him, he tells Pharaoh, hey, you have a dream that needs interpreting? I know a guy. So he's brought to Pharaoh's palace. He, he interprets this dream for Pharaoh, saves all of Egypt from seven years of famine, and he's made the second in command of all of Egypt. He goes from prisoner to second in command of Egypt. He's reconciled to his brothers over 20 years after they sold him into slavery, and he secures a place for his entire family in the land of Egypt during the midst of a famine. He goes through the ringer. He goes through terrible times in life. But all of this produces something. All of the things that he went through. He went from a spoiled brat. He went from a dreamer, someone that said, I am going to be bigger than all of you guys, to someone who was humble, who was not working just for himself, but was working for others, who was responsible, who was forgiving. When he got out of prison, did he say, you know what, this cupbearer, I helped him out. Mm, you know what, he's done. No. When his brothers, who were going to kill him and sold him into slavery, when they came looking for grain and he saw them, did he throw them in jail? Did he kill them right off the bat? No. He forgave them. He was reconciled to them. He became someone much, much deeper. And all of this takes place over the course of 20 years. Like I said, God's time is not our time. He does have good things for us. He has good plans for us. The plans he has for us is good, are good and beautiful, right? We were singing that before, and it's true. But again, like Paul said last week, our good is not on the same spectrum of God's good. Sometimes his good takes a lot longer, and it's a lot deeper, and it's a lot more forming than our good of jumping to the promise, right? Sometimes the things that God has planned for us, when we go through moments of what we think might be bad, is for our good. We need a little theology of suffering, understanding that this is a broken world, but God will use that to form us and make us people who are ready to live that spiritual inheritance that he has for us. You know, like I said, sometimes following God's plan is going to lead you to incredible things. Since I started coming to this church 20 years ago, I have grown in my faith. I have gotten a master's. I have met leaders from ministry from all over the world. When we went to a conference in LA, I got to shoot a, uh, a sermon series with Dr. Sammy's mentor in Puerto Rico. Never thought I would do any of that amazing stuff. And there were great times with great stories and great forming moments out of all of those. But there's also been times where it's been difficult. Pastor Lydia and I, we actually drive in on uh, Sunday mornings. And last week, because Josh wasn't there, we got to have a real deep conversation. And I just kind of shared like some of the stuff that I'd been going through in work, some of the really trying things. And the funny thing is that um, I've had my times of wanting that plan B. I've had my times of saying, you know what? I want to quit this job. I want to get out of New York. I don't want to see the crazy things of this city anymore. I just want to go somewhere way off in the middle of nowhere and just live a nice, quiet, peaceful life. And that sounds like a good plan B, but I know it's not the plan that God has for me. And even in the midst 
of dealing with some of the less pleasant things of the city and seeing some of the worst things that I'm not going to go into here, but sometimes you see a lot of things. And even going through those, it's helped me in my walk. It's made me someone who has been able to help others. Whether it's been, okay, I got hurt at work and that sucks, but now I can guide other people in what they have to do if they get hurt. Or it's, I've seen how bad and how broken the world can be. And I have compassion for the people that walk into my courthouse that are going through a bad time and trying to help them and trying to get them what they need and where they've got to go. And does it always work out? No, it sometimes is really annoying. And that makes me cling to my faith even more because I know that this world is broken and in need of Christ. And in those moments that it does work out, it's amazing how much peace that brings me. It's all been part of my journey. So, my second point today, how do we submit to God's plan for our lives, even when it's really hard? This is my second point here. Though often difficult, God's plan makes us deeper people. Sometimes the reason we aren't living in our spiritual inheritance yet is because we're just not ready for it yet. God is not going to give you your spiritual inheritance when you're not ready for it just to watch you drop it and fumble it and lose it. He's not going to do that to you. He's not going to set you up to fail. But he's going to set you up to thrive. And sometimes that is going to take work. Sometimes that's going to take discipline. Is it fun? No. Neither is the gym. Neither is school. Neither is boot camp. Neither is premarital counseling. How many of you guys, like I said, the, the married couples here, I'll use you guys again. When you went to premarital counseling, was that fun? Not always. But it sets you up for something much greater and gives you the opportunity to thrive and succeed in that, right? God is getting you ready for something greater. And sometimes that's what God's plan A involves, if we can just submit to it and go with his plan. So as we finish today, my question for you guys is, where has God's plan made you a deeper person? Can you see those times where you've gone through something, maybe some suffering, maybe some time waiting for God to come through, and that has produced something great in you, made you a deeper person, a more humble person, a kinder person, a person that does not panic when something goes a little bit wrong. And again, if you're not seeing that, maybe this is the opportunity for you to come to God and say, God, I want to see what you're doing. I want to know a little bit more about this. Will you show up in my life and show me the plans that you have for me? Make me know that the plans you have for me are good and beautiful so that you can say, I trust you, Lord. So would you guys rise with me today? And let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you today in a posture of submission to your plan. Though sometimes, Lord, we may try to come up with our plan B. We may try to say, I think I might know better. Lord, we want to acknowledge that you are far and above better than us. You are higher than us. You know more than us. And you are a lot better than us because you have those plans for us, plans to grow us, plans to prosper us plans to make us deeper people that will live for your kingdom. And Father, I pray that we would submit to you and say, I trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
surprised by Oxford says this anything not done in submission to God anything not done to the glory of God is doomed to failure frailty and futility this is the unholy trinity we humans fear most and we should for we entertain it all the time at the pain expense of not knowing the real one now, in Joseph's 20 years of suffering and doubting, Psalm 109 says that before God fulfilled Joseph's dreams, he tested Joseph's character. Now, that text can make you believe that Joseph was tested and passed, and therefore God blessed him. Tell someone next to you, that's not true. Tell again, that's not true. Because then that, that the covenant and the promise of what would happen to Joseph would be contingent upon his obedience when the covenant is not based on our will or our power. What happened to Joseph, though, for him to, to inhibit power in the greatest empire ever known in this moment in history was to experience those three things. Failure, frailty, and futility. 
failure, frailty, and futility. There's no way any one of us can be humble because we think we should be. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm humble. I've seen people in church that act like that. Yes, let me pray for you. Come here, you know. <laughs> and they act pious. That's piety. It's an external form of humility. It's not humility. Humility cannot be learned through cognition. It is formed through brokenness, through failure, frailty, and futility. When you realized our frailty and our failure, we're broken. Humility is broken into us. Joseph became humble through his brokenness. And it wasn't even he believed at one point that he'll be a dictator. I don't think he was thinking that when he was washing someone's butt cleaning someone's feet. I think he lost all that. And when he got the power, he was like, wow, cool. I'm just glad I have a nice meal because humility was broken into him and now he understood everything about everything from the migrant farmers to the slaves in Egypt to those starving in famine because he experienced that brokenness in not theory, but pragmatically, viscerally, he experienced it. And it made him humble and able to administer justice. Now, for all of us here, when you think through the mindset and framework that God's plan is to serve me, not the greater good or the greater purpose, then God's plans are not going to make sense. And plan B makes more sense. It's like... I'm going to take my life into my own hands. But if you take the framework of God framing and forming us into people that can bless others and the world, not because we should, but because we want to. That's the, you know, that's a big difference, right? I should bless the world. You know, it's like Miss Universe saying, that's my wish, world peace. I don't think you're Miss Universe and you're up there because you wanted world peace. Wanting to bless others because you want to, not because you should, is the difference between piety and humility, and it's the difference between God's power working through our lives. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the great morning star, were broken for 33 years. And then the culmination of the brokenness healed everything in creation and still healing it today. So today, I want to invite all of us. Look at the person next to you. Look if they're human. They're flesh and bones. And they, and, and don't judge them based on their degrees, based on their occupation, based on what they look like. Because if they're human, they have pain and doubts you do not know of. And let me tell you, the greatest pressure points in our lives, the greatest delays, the greatest detours, the greatest doubts are the places where God's grace will be exponential and God's presence will permeate. So today, as a church, I'm calling all of us into faith, not faith in our abstractions of what God should do, faith in who God is, that he's working out everything for not only your good, but the good of all. So will you lift your hands with me today to the Lord? I want you to lift to the Lord your doubts, 
your tensions, your ambiguities, your fears, your anger, your rage. And it's okay to be honest with those things because Joseph doubted God's plans many times. And that's the point you're supposed to doubt. You're not the one that can be perfect or fulfill his plans. He has to. And when we learned we cannot, we begin to believe through grace God can. So surrender right now all our tensions, all our ambiguities, and all our questions. But say, God, I trust you, Lord. You're working for my good and the good of the world. Let's make this our prayer. Let's surrender it right now. We trust you, Lord. I have never said. You're working for our good. You exchange the good of the world. All of them. For your promises. The plans you have for me are good and beautiful. As we close today, I want you to receive your spiritual inheritance today, which is a promise. Now, a promise is something you won't fully receive in this life because if you did, why would you believe or have hope? A promise is only as good as the person, the, the person's character. Now, for Joseph, his greatest gift to the world was reconciliation. 
because he was so broken. His family was so broken. The hostility and the animosity that crept into that family of envy and jealousy was so horrific. But God, but his greatest gift was the depth of forgiveness and love and healing in relationships. And that's why he can heal a whole nation and all types of injustices in relationship to, to migrant workers, to slaves, to, to class systems because he climbed every single one. That was his greatest gift. His spiritual gift was reconciliation in Egypt. Now for you, your greatest gift will be your greatest hurt. The cross and the blood of Jesus will flow through your life through your greatest arrows and wounds. If deep, deep brokenness, your gift will be healing in that arena. So receive it today. Because when others are broken similarly to you in your situation, a river of healing will flow from you to the other person. This is what God calls compassion and healing. So if you're suffering today, if you're hurt today, if you're doubting today, then you're going to give the greatest gift of faith to many. So don't just receive the promise. Receive the ramification of that promise. Today, I want to bless you in your struggle and your questions, ambiguities, intentions. I want to bless you with the outcome of God's promises. I pray for the gift of healing to move from you to others. I pray if doubt, then great faith would be gifted to others. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would understand your plan and trust you. We trust you, Lord. Will you bow, bow your heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. Go with God's plans today. Blessings. <laughs>